right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Nick Springer's not here just yet. He is uh, coming back from... A little uh, not fun stuff that he had to get done, uh, some like dental surgery stuff. So he will be here at some point here in the show. But I'm Derek Johnson, and I've got you solo at least for the moment. Um, we're going to have high school football on the airwaves tonight. we got Free State High going off at 7 o'clock. Nick's going to be on the call of that one with Craig Hershiser. Pre-game going to be at 645 for that game. You can hear the Lawrence High game tomorrow. That'll be on 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com because the KU game will be right here on KLWN Friday night and on 105.9 KISS. We're going to be doing a live show tomorrow, so this is our final show in the studio this week. Live show tomorrow at a big mill on 9th and Mississippi between 3 to 5.30. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, lots of guests joining us on today's show. We've got Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, coming on with us at 3.40 here. We're going to have Ray Bouchard, the head coach for the KU volleyball team, who's going to join us at about 425 here. We also are going to have a high school football preview. John Betts, who is the publisher for Kansas Preview or Kansas Pregame Magazines, is going to hop on with us at 525 here, talk a little Free State football, talk a little LHS football, Sunflower football, 6A football as a whole. So looking forward to that conversation uh, later on in the show, too. we got plenty of KU football talk and Coming up at 4.05, we have our second RCST football trivia semifinal matchup, and we'll be uh, set for the championship matchup on tomorrow's show. But uh, normally we've been doing this on Fridays. Uh, I'm doing it today because we wanted to save tomorrow for the pregame, the, the actual preview of the game, and talk more about KU Missouri State. Our numbers when, you know, last week it was one week out, the week before, two weeks out or whatever, and we, you know, pick different numbers that correlate with that being out. So we're officially zero weeks out. We're just one day out, but we are zero weeks out from the first KU football game coming tomorrow here on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. Zero is the jersey number for one Quinton Skinner. He changed this jersey number into number zero. And I'm excited to see what Quinton Skinner can provide for this team this season. He was a, a deep ball threat last year who made a couple ridiculously incredible catches. Uh, it, the TCU game certainly comes to mind in, in what he was able to do. He wins jump balls. He wins contested catches downfield. He has really good speed that he's able to burn by certain players and find himself open and has a good connection there. And he is, you know, you, you get a little bit of everything from each of the receivers. They're all good. All the starters fit into different ways. All of them could break out. Luke Grimm is more of your underneath guy. Uh, Lawrence Arnold's kind of your intermediate guy. And Quentin Skinner's your deep guy. And obviously all of them can do a little bit of everything. We see plays where either of them is doing, you know, the the thing that the other guy's good at. But those are like the specialties of each of those players. And, and it's cool and it allows for you to have kind of a three-headed dragon at the receiver position in a certain way. So Quentin Skinner, um, I'm excited to see what he can do this year, man. Uh 
I look at some of the the years that you know Baylor, Oklahoma, or some of these schools have had a receiver who maybe doesn't have 60, 70, 80 catches in the year, but he has 30, 40 catches, but he's going for 20, 25 yards a pop, and he's still able to get you know seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand receiving yards and come up with a bunch of touchdowns. I think that could be in store for Quentin Skinner uh, this season after he really broke out last season and came onto the scene. Zero is the amount of sacks that Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers have in their KU football careers. Now, this is not an indictment on either of those players. They haven't really played a ton. Tommy Dunn was kind of a back-end rotational defensive tackle last year. DJ Withers, even less so. Obviously, they both redshirted the year before that. This is more so me saying that one of those guys is going to be your starter on Friday night and for this season. Whichever one doesn't start, it's not going to matter a ton because both are going to play a ton of snaps and, and rotate a fair amount and a good amount over the course of the season. Um, but I, I, I think that excites me, the fact that it is, it's potential of something you haven't seen before. Neither player comes in with that track record of, yeah, they, they did this last year. They accomplished that last year. These are players that are a bit of unknowns, but I'm excited about what the unknown beholds for both of those guys. They're both talented players. They're both high-potential players. You're still going to have multiple years left of them. So, I mean, if you're talking about you know either one or both playing well this season, you're going to feel even better about that defensive line next year and, and possibly even the year after that going forward uh, of what those two guys can do. But this is what good programs do. And if Kansas wants to be a good program, this year is obviously pivotal and vital to, to doing that. Good programs stack up solid seasons, right? Um, and I, I think that's what this Kansas staff and this Kansas program is. Obviously, they got to earn it on the field and show it on the field. But what good programs do is they lose good players or they lose veteran players, and they're able to replace them with players who maybe haven't played as long because those are the guys that have been sitting in the wings, that have been developing in your system, that you have been putting through your strength and conditioning program, that you have been getting to know the, the certain scheme. And usually they might redshirt a year and they might sit for a year. Maybe they're a rotational player for a year. And by year three or year four, that's when you're asking them to make that jump, make that leap, and be counted on. Good programs do that each and every year. And for Kansas football in the past, prior to Lance Leipold, you didn't do it enough. You didn't do it well enough. And you didn't do it often. I mean, how many times would you have a freshman come in and have to start as a true freshman? The, these guys, I, I don't think either was technically recruited by the Leipold staff. Um, this would be like the last class that technically wasn't, I believe, because they're in their third year here. But they're the guys who have only known Kansas football, basically, with Lance Leipold's in tow as staff. So these are the guys that were really the start of that developmental period of young players coming in and trying to turn into something. So... I, I think these guys both represent the future of the program in a way because they are players that you look to and say, okay, they're program guys. They've been in the system for a few years. Now you're counting on them to do more. Even though it's an unknown, you expect good things out of them, and I think that's a good thing for where this program is headed. Zero is the amount of games played at KU for the new transfers. Okay, that's obvious. Uh, who's most exciting? Who's going to be the most fun transfers to keep an eye on? If we're just talking about Friday night, it's hard to pick anybody on the offensive side of the ball. Honestly, Dylan McDuffie could have a decent amount of carries on Friday night if all goes well because you're not going to want to overburden you know, Daniel Hyshaw and, and Devin Neal in that game. So that could be a, a pretty good answer there. Uh, but for the most part, offensively, it's it's not going to be as, as notable. I, I will be interested if, if the twos get in there, like Logan Brown, 
um, what, what that kind of looks like. Spencer Lavelle maybe uh, on the backup offensive line or if they do end up rotating in. But uh, the answer here has to be on the defense. There's just more of an avenue. Devin Phillips is the guy I'm most excited to see. What he can do in the middle of that defense, uh, kind of plugging up the run if he can add anything as a pass rusher. Um, long-term for me, and, and maybe even a piece of it would be for Friday night, J.B. Brown. Super interested in seeing J.B. Brown. Uh, he, he'll get in there even though he's not a starter. He's listed behind Taiwan Berryhill. He'll play a good amount of snaps. Hard hitter, super athletic linebacker. I'm excited to see what he can kind of bring to the table for this KU football defense, how he can kind of impact things from the defensive level of of, of play. So uh, J.B. Brown would be my answer there along with uh, Devin Phillips. Zero is also the amount of times that KU was held to single digits or held the opponent to single digits last year. So you had a lot of high-scoring games. Obviously, the Iowa State game was close uh, to both teams being in single digits. That was 14-11. to 11. So there's two ways of unpacking that. One, that the KU offense was never held to single digits. They did have a couple games that beyond Iowa State, like you think of the Texas game, where obviously that was close. But for the most part, this was a consistently good offense that didn't have a, a huge, I don't know, bow or, or a huge dip into things just not really working out one game. Like the Texas game, as much as that's probably the case, it was horrible weather. Jalen Daniels was coming back from that injury and just did not look the same. Uh, that game's hard for me to kind of think of that way. In the Iowa State game, it was a tale of two halves. Like, the first half, you were fine. You put up all 14 points. Second half, things just kind of went away. And, and that was also against, you know, top 20 defense and the best defense in the Big 12. So, uh, you feel good about the consistency there. Defensively, you would like to see, maybe maybe in this FCS game, maybe this will be a chance for them to hold them to single digits. Because as good as they were in the Tennessee Tech game, you still didn't do that. So, uh, that, that would, I think... Uh, be a nice little step forward, a small one, if you're able to do that in this game. And and if you can have, you know, some of those games this year, if you can have even two of them, like that would be a, a huge win, I think, for the defense overall. Zero is the amount of times the KU lost last season when allowing four and a half yards per carry or less. So when they gave up four and a half yards per carry or under 4.4, 3.5, whatever it is, they were 6-0 and last season. When they gave up 4.6 yards per carry or more, they were 0-7, and that was most notably the Texas game and the Arkansas game when you gave up 7.5 yards per carry in both games and, and couldn't stop anybody on the ground. But that is a pretty, you know, that, that's Moses dividing the, the sea with 4.5 to 4.6 or above. It is very clear. 6-0 and when, because, you know, 4.5 yards per carry isn't a great defensive day, but yeah, that, that's about average. So if, you're, if you can basically just be an average run defense or better, your defense is going to be good enough for your offense to succeed and win you a lot of those games. Meanwhile, on the flip side, if you give up too much on the ground, it's going to keep your offense off the field. It's going to cause issues for your defense side of the ball, and you're 0-7 there. The last one I have here, zero is the amount of wins and losses that KU has right now. Obviously, there's 0-0 zero and zero to this point in time. Early feelings about the Missouri State game, I still have not seen a line come out for the game. I'd imagine the spread's going to be somewhere between 20, 21, 24 points, and I don't know, somewhere kind of in that range. Maybe it ends up being higher 20s. Um, my early thoughts is KU wins it by like mid-20s, somewhere in that range. I think Missouri State is going to be a better defensive team than they are an offensive team, which on, I, I don't know, I, I think you kind of like that. Um you obviously don't like it if the defense struggles, but you like it because it matches up well with you where uh, maybe it can be more of like iron sharpening iron when you're on offense and it can be more of kind of like baby steps for the defense type of thing. So I think that's a positive. Um, now, 
another part of this with them start being zero and zero. What does KU have to start the season without a loss to make you think they can hit seven plus wins? Well, we picked we picked our win loss total yesterday, and I had them losing to Illinois in week two and still getting to seven wins. Nick had them getting to eight wins with an Illinois win, so that would tell you that even if they started one and one through the first two, we think they can get to seven wins. If you're talking about eight or more, though, yeah, you're probably having to start three and zero, if not four and zero, at that point to make you feel like eight or nine wins would be possible for KU. But it's obviously a very important game from a standpoint of um, a lot of years you've gone into the FCS game just saying you have to win this game because it might be it, it's your best chance to win and it's hard to find wins the rest of the schedule. Like you, you might have others this year, it's you'll still be able to find other wins on the schedule, but. Uh, making it back to a bowl game, starting off with the proper momentum, getting to seven or eight wins, it all includes you having to win a game like this and, you know, try not to, to panic the fan base. Just find a way to win any way you can. You know, uh, that's how I feel about all FCS games. Like, ideally, you'd blow them all out, but just just don't lose it. Just don't lose it is, is how you kind of feel going into it. But that's kind of a not fun mentality. Like, go out and take it. Go out and dominate this game. Go out and, and show you're the better team. You're the more physically dominant and athletic team. Go do it in this game and make you feel a little bit better headed into week two against Illinois. All right, we're going to take a time out here. We've got Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining us later in the hour. We've also got Ray Bouchard, KU Volleyball Head Coach, joining us in the 4 o'clock hour. Kansas Invitationals tonight. They get a top 25 Purdue team, so that should be fun at 6.30 tonight at the Horish Family Volleyball Arena. And then also uh, we're going to be talking some high school football with our high school football preview as the uh, Kansas pregame magazine publisher, John Betts, is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up on the other side, we've got a little KU football audio. We're going to do a new segment, Clips of the Week. We'll do that next. You're listening to RCST. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We got Free State football on the airwaves tonight. Lawrence High football will be on 92.9 The Bowl tomorrow night. Tomorrow, we have KU football. That's why uh, LHS will be on The Bowl. KU takes on Missouri State pregame 530 with the Crimson and Blue Show. 7 o'clock kickoff. You can hear Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, on the call of that one through the Jayhawk radio network. He now joins us on the show here. Uh, Brian, as, as you... Think about the start of the season every year. It's always an exciting time no matter what. Hope springs eternal, and uh, obviously last year was a super exciting time. You know, every year you go into, you're going to get amped up and hyped up about it, but how does your level of excitement for this KU football season maybe compare to past years in, in you doing the job? Well, it's definitely the most anticipated season since I've come back. This is my eighth year on the call. Hands down, there's no comparison. And honestly, it's the most anticipated season in the last 15 years, I think. What feels different about this is this progress, this momentum, this you know, avalanche of, of, of positive KU football vibes, it feels sustainable. It feels more real than the occasional flash in the pan, six-win bowl season that then doesn't get backed up after it. And it's not just that it feels real because you've got 85% of your production returning and 91% of the offensive production returning. And it's not just real because every single position coach is back for the first time in 20 years. It's real and sustainable because Lance Leipold made a long-term commitment to KU football and the chancellor and AD Travis Goff have now unveiled the plans for a stadium that in two years will give Kansas something as nice as you'll find in the big 12. And to me, 
that's what's different about the feeling we had at this juncture 15 years ago under Coach Mangino. Those were amazing years, 20 wins in two seasons. But then you started to see some assistant coaches leave. You never had the, the promise of, of the big next stadium on the way. Right now, there's as much alignment, symmetry, and synergy between the leadership campus-wide, starting with Doug Gerard, to Travis Goff, to Leipold and his staff. And so I know for a lot of listeners to hear us beat the drum on culture all the time, it probably sounds like a lot of coach speak or broadcaster speak, but it really is true. The culture component is different than ever before, and more so than ever before, it feels like it's here to last, and it's sustainable. And so as we head into a season where you have all this excitement based on the players that are returning and the coaches that are back and all that, it's a different kind of feel because you don't feel like it's a, well, we better cash in because if we don't, we're going to be waiting another 10 years. This really feels like a momentous build that can be sustained and built upon even more. And You kind of walk around with a, a different air of confidence to, to what we've had in previous years. It doesn't feel like fool's gold. It feels legit, and that's exciting. So that, that's probably the biggest prevailing sentiment or statement that I have for you out the gate here. And now let's go see if they can back it up. And, you know, as a fellow really good play-by-play guy, you, know, you want offense, you want highlights, you want shootouts. Man, we got an offense that averaged 36 a game a year ago, and almost everybody's back, 10 of 11 starters. I think the defense will be improved, but not to the point where we're going to be blowing teams out. And so that means we're going to have a lot of tight games, a lot of fourth-quarter finishes, a lot of gunslinger shootouts, and to me, that means it's going to be an absolute blast. And with the prevailing feeling that you have a chance in all 12 games, which is something we haven't been able to say in quite some time, that feels different, too. So for all those reasons, we're chomping at the bit to kick this thing off tomorrow night. Yeah, we were picking the schedule yesterday, and as we went through, you know, you're not going to necessarily, as we're picking them, we didn't pick them to win every game, but every game we said is a winnable game. There wasn't a single game that you said, oh, they can't win that, and that, that I think is all you're kind of asking for from a, a fan base perspective is just go in every Saturday with the hope that you can win that game that day, and there, there's something nice to be said about that, that Lance Leipold and the staff have gotten them to that point. Um, what sticks out to you about this Missouri State squad? Because it's been kind of hard, I don't know, from the FCS level, there's not as much publication uh, in terms of trying to figure out and preview the opposition. We know they have a new coach, but there is some uh, consistency in terms of the coaches that are back. Uh, eight starters return. They had some, I don't know, maybe questions at quarterback and receiver with some late transfers. I, I don't know. What, what kind of sticks out to you about Missouri State and uh, how they could possibly challenge Kansas on Friday night? Well, you summed it up really well right there. I think what concerns me is probably their running game more than anything with a former Wildcat who was really good in the Valley a year ago in Jacadia Wrights and a guy that, um, you know, is backed up by Selden Manning, who's also a former Missouri Valley All-Conference player. What they do at quarterback remains to be seen. It could be one of a couple of guys. One is more mobile than the other, uh, but, but you got some turnover there. And then, obviously, as you alluded to, there's some continuity in the coaching with the son-in-law, now the head coach of Bobby Petrino, and the son, the OC. So there is some similar messaging and similar philosophical approach. But then again, anytime a new coach is now the head coach for the first time, he's going to put his own stamp on things, and there will be some differences. So I think this is one of the trickier first game of the seasons to gauge for those reasons. 
And you really won't know until you see it out there for a few drives of what it's truly going to look like. But, you know, they've got some, some high major transfers that are you know, dropping down and, and playing right away at that FCS level that certainly makes you have pause and, and give a lot of respect to this group. At the same time, uh, you know, Kansas feels like they should come out and, and assert themselves and, and prove that, that they're the major conference team for a reason and place them out in front. But they're very wary and mindful of the fact that Arkansas did not do that a year ago. And it took a 21-3 to fourth quarter outburst by the Hogs to save the day in a game that Missouri State led entering the fourth uh, in, in a much bigger, more raucous venue and all that. So I don't think the Bears will be wide-eyed and awestruck by any means coming in tomorrow night. They're going to come in confident, feeling like they've got a chance to win this thing. And So if you're the bigger you know, conference and, and more – supposed talented team, you got to punch them in the mouth early. you got to assert your dominance early on and don't allow them to hang around and play from out in front. So those are some of the things that Kansas would like to do. I don't know what it's going to look like uh, in, in terms of the offense. It's great that Jalen's been able to do more in practice this week. And, and uh, you know, Coach indicated on, on Monday or Tuesday that the expectation is to be available. But, you know, you've, you've got a myriad of, of other guys in the mix that uh, you know, should show out and, and perform impressively. The return of Daniel Highshaw something I can't wait to see. This kid put in so much work to battle back from a really difficult injury to come back and be the same guy for him. And it looks like he's the same guy. Now, I haven't seen him you know, taking a ton of hits in practice and all that like he's doing tomorrow night, but the explosiveness and the burst and all that looks like the guy that we saw carving up Duke with one of the most unbelievable broken tackle touchdown runs you've ever seen. And, uh, and of course, you know, Devin Neal's first team, all Big 12, the Big 12 Conference's leading returning rusher. You've got one of the best one-two punches at quarterback and running back of anybody in the conference. And honestly, one of the standout one-two punches at those two positions in the country. So I'm excited to see all four of those guys in the mix. And, uh, and what does it look like if they break huddle with Jason and Jalen on the field at the same time? And you don't know who's going to get the snap or who's going to get the ball. I think there's just some things that Andy Kotelnicki can reach into his bag and not only uh, you know, do something to, to, to keep Missouri State on their toes, but give them an oil out to think about heading into next week, too. So I can't wait to see you know, how all that takes shape and, and you know, what we get out of number six tomorrow. But I'll tell you what, number nine's had a heck of a fall camp, talking about Jason Boone, and uh, they're going to find ways to utilize him, too, even if Jalen's back at full speed, because to quote Jim Zabrowski and, and to quote Andy Kotelnicki, I mean, Jason's turned in as impressive of a fall camp as any guy they've been around at that position. And so they'll find ways to make sure he's utilized, too. But regardless of, of what you see at that position, the fact that essentially every meaningful pass catcher is back at the receiver and, and tight end group. I know Kevin Terry obviously left the team, but, I mean, 10 of 11 starters, 4 or 5 starting on the offensive line are all back, more depth than we've seen since the Mangino era on the offensive line, and then established, proven, you can trust this guy on third and long to, to make the catch over the middle, you know, type talent at the receiver and tight end groups. Trevor Cardell sounds like he's had an outstanding camp and he's thrusting himself into the same conversations as Mason Fairchild and Jerry Casey is the most trusted tight end. And then I, I think Skinner's going to have a breakout year as if last season wasn't that already. But, uh, you know, with, with Arnold and, and Glenn back in the mix as well, you've just got so many capable options. And I think Trevor Wilson, uh, you know, after some, some distractions last season that limited his time a little bit, I think he's had a really good fall camp too. So there's a lot 
to like if you're QB1 at Kansas when you drop back and, and look who to zing it to because they've got a myriad of established options. And uh, you add all that up, and to me, that looks like 40 points a game and a whole lot of fun. So come ready to wave that week early and often tomorrow night. We're sure looking forward to it. When I think back to last year, we went into the season. Kwame Lasseter had graduated, and I don't think anybody on the roster at that point at the receiver position had accumulated in an individual season with 400 or more receiving yards. And it's not that we knew there there wasn't talent there, but there were just questions about who was going to be the guys who stepped up and did they have enough there right away. Turns out that receiver room was awesome a season ago. I think on Pro Football Focus, they were number three in the entire country in receiving grade a year ago. Uh, it was obviously a very balanced and, and well put together unit now with everybody being back. Um, but it's just that that was maybe to me the surprise unit of 2022. When you fast forward here to 2023, is there a unit, whether it's on offense, defense, special teams, that you think maybe is being a little bit undersold as we get into the first game of the season that you think could end up being better than than we might think uh, headed into the year? Well, first off, great memory on receiver because I remember it was probably this very week of last year having this exact conversation. And we both kind of concluded that that was the position group that had the most to prove and the most that was unknown. And we were hopeful, we were optimistic, but we really couldn't circle one guy and say, oh, yeah, they, they can pass the Kwame Lasseter role to this guy and nobody's ready to rock. And then look at what unfolds. I mean, Lawrence Arnold goes out and has 700 receiving yards. Luke Graham goes out and, and leads the team in receptions and ties to the team leading receiving touchdowns. Quentin Skinner becomes this vertical deep ball threat that uh, you know has this, this wiry frame, but the ability to separate and, and yet make catches in traffic too. And I'll tell you what, man, we ended up having way more at that spot than we ever could have fathomed. I don't know that there's one particular position group that's going to wind up making that kind of leap from the unproven to the top three ranked nationally. But I'll tell you where I'd like to see it happen. I, I'd like to feel like we end up having more in the linebacking core than meets the eye because beyond Craig Young and Mitch Miller, you see other guys really step up. I know the coaching staff is really high on J.B. Brown and hopeful that they'll see other guys emerge. You need to have edge rushing become a factor. And so I hope the answer to your question is that one of the six defensive end pass rushing types emerges, whether it's an Austin Booker, the Minnesota transfer, or if Jeremy Robinson as a breakout season, but you need to see that happen. And so for me, I, it's not so much a prediction that linebacker or defensive end is going to become this out of the woodwork strength on the team. It's more a necessity. If you're going to nail me down to a prediction on an aspect of the team, that will wind up being way better uh, than what we know going in. I think it's special teams. And, and I think it's for a number of reasons, but they've really put an emphasis on that. And, you know, they went out and, made some additions uh, with their specialists from, from the punter to the kicker. And I, I still think that the competition between Seth Keller, the transfer from Texas State, and Owen Pieper Curtis has been very, very close throughout the fall. And one's a right-footed kicker, one's a left-footed kicker. They kind of look like, and this movie reference will predate you, but half your audience will get it. They kind of look like the movie poster from the 1980s comedic hit, wins yeah, when Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. <laughs> was standing next to Danny DeVito. Have you looked at the, the differential on these guys? 
Pieper Gerd is, is 6'6", 250. Yeah. We joke. And, I mean, he's bigger than Dylan Brooks. He's bigger than Dylan Brooks yeah. at defensive end. He, he could be your most impressive physical specimen on the defensive side of the ball today if he lined up over there. So when they stand next to each other, that's 10 inches and about 80 pounds of differential. Um, I think it's really close between those two, and, and Coach has kept his cards close to his best as to who it's going to be. And you, know, you, you sometimes have a situation where you have your short-distance guy and your longer-legged, big-leg guy for the long field goals. Now you have a right-versus-left situation, too. It's going to be interesting to watch. But um, – you have, you have uh, an upgraded punter, it would appear, in the Australian imports that I know they're really excited about. And Damon Greaves had a good camp for Kansas to back up some of that hype. But then when you consider all the minds in the room that contribute to special teams, I think, I think Taiwo, his leadership at the top, he does a really good job of delegating. He's got four or five other full-time assistants that have a different facet of special teams that they're coaching. And then, you know, you put it all together – with his leadership at the top, and, and then you have Sean Snyder, who's not a coach. He's a special assistant to the head coach, but you can't help but tap into some of that expertise when he was widely considered to be one of the very best special teams minds in the country you know, for, for the last couple of decades. And so, again, he's, he's just a, another of, of many voices in the room with Anatoly, who's still the special teams coordinator. But my point is, I feel like that's, an area of this team, a facet where there is a lot of, of margin for improvement. A great emphasis has been placed on that improvement. And you've had tangible additions, both personnel-wise and in the meeting room, that are bringing ideas and, and, and making that a better group. And so if you pin me to the wall and said, what's one aspect of this team that should be markedly better in 2023, I think it's special teams. And we'll see if that comes to fruition tomorrow night or not. But there's there's so many things in terms of field position, an extra possession here or there, uh, an extra score here or there that can be created by having dynamic special teams. And I think the Jayhawks are well on their way to being much more so something like that in the season ahead. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the game action, 7 o'clock through the Jayhawk radio network. 5.30 is when pregame will start right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Brian, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a good call before we let you go. A word from Nate Miller. That's right. Always love talking to you, Derek. Thanks so much for the platform. And thanks to Nate Miller as well, just as Lance Leipold has his game plan for tomorrow night. Nate Miller wants to sit down, get out the chalkboard, and start drawing up some plays for the most profitable financial future for you and your personal investments. So check them out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. And uh, make an appointment to sit down and take a look at things with Nate Miller. Have a great weekend, my friend. Looking forward to hearing you on the call of Lawrence High Football starting next week. Obviously, gigantic shoes to fill with the legendary Hank Booth. But I, I think that he would be proud of who the baton is being passed to. You're going to do an awesome job. And I'm going to be tuning in later tonight to hear uh, Nick Springer and my buddy Craig Hirschheiser on the free state call as well. So exciting time of year on good irons all over the Sunflower State. I hope uh, you, the listener, will bring 10 of your best friends out to the booth tomorrow and support these Jayhawks. If, if 85% of their production is back amongst the players and 100% of the coaches are back, we ought to get 110% of the fans coming back. So please make plans to join us tomorrow night in the booth.
That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, thanks to Brian for hopping on the show. We got Ray Bouchard, head coach for the KU volleyball team, joining us in the 4 o'clock hour here. We also have John Betts, the publisher of Kansas Pregame Magazines, in the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down. Two to go. We got RCST football trivia next. Our second semifinal matchup, Skinner versus Kyle. We'll get to that on the other side. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Kansas volleyball coach Ray Bouchard is going to join us coming up later this hour. First, though, we've got another edition of RCST football trivia. This is our second semifinal matchup. RCST football trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, Mr. D's Auto Wash, and Lawrence Shirt Factory. Check out 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering options, all available. They've got the outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather. You can try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the other great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go as well with their Crowlers. The matchup today is Kyle Martin against Skinnerd Wenninger. And uh, Kyle is coming in as the eighth seed after a victory over the one seed Eric Kanzi in the Johnny's Blue Collar Lager Bowl. That was after Kyle beat the nine seed Justin in the 23rd Street Brewery Bill Self Mac and Cheese Bowl. This is now the McDonald's McNuggets Bowl. Skinnerd, meanwhile, the five seed, had to go through the 12 seed Garrett Hart in the 23rd Street Brewery Hank Booth Burger Bowl. Then the four seed Jackson Schneider in the Johnny's Nuke Lelouch Bowl. And now he'll look to win the McDonald's McNuggets Bowl. We are brought to you by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash in the Lawrence area. You can get a bite to eat. You can get your car washed with both. Kyle, to this point, has amassed a record of 4-1 and one, with 68 total points scored over his five matchups. Skinner, meanwhile, is 4-1. and one. He has 57 points, so this should be a good matchup. Uh, we are brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy with custom awards and engraving experts in Lawrence. You can get all your work done with Jayhawk Trophy. Check out their wide selection online or visit them in store on 6th Street. Into our first and lone trivia matchup for the semifinals of the day. The winner of this will take on Blake Farrell in the championship tomorrow. So we've got the McDonald's McNuggets Bowl, five-seed Skinner and Wenninger, eight-seed Kyle Martin, both teams four and one. Kyle with 68 points, Skinner with 57 points. Kyle, you had to get through the one-seed, Eric Hansey, last week. How's that having you feel uh, headed into this matchup? It, it, it was good. It was a good uh, confidence boost. Uh, you know, Eric's, Eric's good at trivia, man. He's been doing this for a long time. He... Uh, uh, came into football, fanbagging everybody, thinking, oh, I'm not going to do this, and then he gets a one seed. So, yeah, it felt good to, to knock off Eric, but I think that speaks more to Eric than the you know, the, the lucky pull I had to win that match. Skinner, you had zero points through four, four questions, but then you came up clutch in the fifth question. Um, take me through, going back to last week, have you reviewed the film and uh, thoughts on, on your performance last week and, and now that you've survived in advance? Uh, I sucked the whole game and <laughs> got an an- got a question in the overtime round that uh, probably anybody could have got. So I'm hanging on by a spider web thread. Okay. Well, uh, Kyle, you are the, uh, the the lower seed here, so I'm going to give you the option on the coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Go back to heads. All right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is tails this time on this uh, Wisconsin coin. So, Skinner, that means you have the option here. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? 
What do you want to do, Kyle? I must always pick second whether I end up going second or not. You get the lead. All right, so Kyle's going to go first. Skinnerd is going to go second. And we're going to start in the easy round of questions. These are worth three points. First up for you, Kyle. This Jayhawk receiver from the state of Kansas um, finished fourth in the country in catches per game in 2009. Kerry Meyer. Kerry Meyer is the correct answer on that one, and you're on the board with your first field goal and three-point question. Skinner, your first question. This Jayhawk receiver from the state of Texas finished ninth in the country in catches per game in the 2009 season. Desmond Briscoe. Desmond Briscoe is the correct answer. And uh, Des Briscoe, Kerry Meyer, that was a heck of a receiver duo between the two of those guys. All right, it's 3-3, three to three, the score headed into the second quarter. To the medium questions we go. These are worth six points. Back to you, Kyle. Name this KU quarterback who wore the number 10 uniform in the 2012 season. Dane Christ. Dane Christ is the correct answer. A uh, transfer in from Notre Dame. That didn't totally work out as much as things were hoped to be when they first announced him. All right, it's 9-3. to three. Kyle in front. Skinner, let's see if you can equal the score. Name this KU quarterback who played sparingly in 2013, though he rotated in over Jake Heaps at the time in that 2013 season. Said 2013, correct? Yes. Montel Cozart. Montel Cozart is the correct answer on that one and ended up finishing his career at Boise State. Okay, 9-9 the score through the first half of play. We're working on to the third quarter. These are now the hard questions, which are worth seven points. Back to you, Kyle. The 2011 Jayhawks season high in points was 45. That was part of a 45-42 to 42 win against who? Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is correct. Exciting game, and they uh, came through with the victory. All right, it is 16-9. Skinner, back to you for seven points. The 2013 Jayhawks, led by Charlie Weiss, saw a 10-0 KU lead turn into an eventual 54-16 conference home loss to what team including a play where KU faked the punt on fourth down in their own end they burnt me last week Texas Tech Texas Tech is the correct answer they did get you last week but they got you right this time all right it's 16 16 this is what semifinals are all about in the McDonald's McNuggets Bowl winner will play in the championship against Blake in the football championship brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy. On to the really hard round. These are worth eight points. Back to you, Kyle. This Jayhawk linebacker was named All-Big 12 third team in 2001. What's his name? I'll go Gabe Toomey. The correct answer is Marcus Rogers. Marcus Rogers was the right one there. 
All right, Skinner, if you can hit this, you would force Kyle in the fifth round to answer a really hard question, and then you'd just have to answer an easy. So this would be a big hit for you if you can have it, Skinner. This Jayhawk offensive lineman was named All-Big 12 second team in 2001. What's his name? Justin Hartwig. Justin Hartwig is correct. That is a heck of a pull for you there, Skinnerd, and you take a 24-16 lead. And that means, Kyle, you now have to answer a really hard question and then hope Skinnerd misses an easy. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Kyle. A 12-yard touchdown run by what 1947 All-American represented KU's first ever score in a bowl game, doing so in the 1948 Orange Bowl? Ray Evans. Ray Evans is the correct answer to that one, and just like that, you have tied the score in the fifth round, which now means, Skinner, you have the option. You could go for an easy question for the win. You could go for a medium. You could go for a hard or really hard if you want more style points. The score is tied. What would you like to do? Hard. All right. Skinner's going to go for the hard. I love the gusto here. Skinner, your question. KU played for an Orange Bowl after a 9-1 and season in 1968 with who as their head coach? Say the year again. 1968. Franklin Pepper Rogers. When you said Franklin, I was worried for you, but Pepper Rogers is the correct answer. You knew the full name. I didn't even know his full name. And that is seven points. That is a win. You not only had a perfect regular score, 31 points through five questions. That is an unbelievable job for you, Skinner. Heck of a bounce back from last week, and you come through with the 31-24 to 24 victory. Uh, Skinner, how, how does this feel putting up that many points after last week? I feel like I rode eight seconds and didn't get bucked off. <laughs> there you go. Kyle, that's a tough one to lose. Would you have known the Justin Hartwig one? Uh, no, no, I, I, uh, I wrote down a different name. I'm not even sure I had the right era. So no, Hartwig would have got me as well. So you make the phenomenal foreign basketball, you make the semis in football here. Obviously those are unbelievable runs both times. Most people would take both of those, but is it a little bittersweet that you fall in the same round both times? Yeah, uh, definitely a, a little bit, uh, you know, with the with basketball, it was a 50-50 question that I had looked at and I missed it. Uh, this one, I mean, 31 points, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do Just about that. tip your cap. That. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. So, no, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's bittersweet, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not too uh, unhappy with, with where I landed in either competition. That's right. You've, you've accumulated a lot of prizes over this. Skinner, you're now playing for the championship match. Do you have any uh, words ahead for Blake Farrell before you get going? Would you like to, to uh, talk any trash before the matchup? Just tell him my favorite song is titled Rockin' Robin. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, Skinner, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Kyle, uh, to all the people who have fallen, I'm, I'm giving them an open forum to talk about KU football in, in any light they want to. Do you want to give a, a season win-loss prediction or, I don't know, hot take or just something you're excited for? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so first off, happy birthday to my brother. My brother's 31 today. Uh, it's his golden birthday. I, I don't think he'll listen, um, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway. 
no offense to Derek. I just, that's not his thing. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, KU football, I, uh, you know, grew up like so many people in this competition did, uh, going to KU football games. I didn't go to a KU basketball game until I was in the band in college at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, but, but football is something we did a lot as a family and, uh, you know, you get the highs and lows with KU football. So, uh, being on a high, I think you have to live in the moment. Um, because, you know, it always seems to cycle. So uh, I hope KU fans will get out and support this team because uh, these these years never seem to last for too long. And, uh, yeah, just overall ready to uh, to get it started tomorrow and uh, hopefully, you know, treat my my kids to the same experience I had when I was growing up and and let them live through. You know, for me, it would have been like the 95 Aloha Bowl kind of in this same uh same range. So yeah, no, uh, always excited to see the the team out there, uh, good or bad. Um, but this year I'm thinking it'll be a good one. There we go. Well guys, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you, Derek. Thanks guys. What a performance by Skinnerd, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kyle, <laughs> that's a good performance by Kyle. Put up 24 points through the, uh, the, the, fi- the five rounds of questions, 16 through the first three. I mean, Last week that would have got him by Skinner, although obviously it would have been different questions. So you never know how things shake out there. But uh, for Kyle, you, you can't feel like upset about your performance at all. That's just Skinner going into like that. <laughs> that was basically Skinner was 2018 Villanova against 2018 Kansas. And Kyle was just on the wrong end of the buzzsaw there. Um, so we'll see. Skinner, if he plays like that against Blake, he's got a great shot of uh, winning the title. Blake's been our most consistent competitor over the course of everything. He's our only undefeated competitor so far. We'll see if he can uh, finish out the perfect undefeated season for the first time in RCST football history, or if Skinner can come through with the title. That'll be on tomorrow's show with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. RCST football trivia is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, celebrating their 70th year anniversary this year. And they have all their double-digit locations from the original location in North Lawrence, where you can be a part of the neighborhood porch, to Topeka, to Raymore, Missouri. Try the Nuke Lulu's Pizza, the Buffalo Chicken Dip, the Wilson Wings, any of the great burgers. And you know with the weather heating up and football season here, you're going to want to crack that ice-cold beer. Try the Blue Collar Lager beer you can only get at Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. You can now get it to go as well. We are also brought to you by Lawrence Shirt Factory, where you can get all your customized gear from shirts to other apparel like hats, sweaters. Uh, They do a great job there at Lawrence Shirt Factory. You can go into them with an idea and they'll put together an absolutely awesome. I'm so excited once we get the RCST football trivia shirts in hand. Um, We we don't have them in hand just yet. They're, They're close to being here. I will tell you this, they are unbelievable. One of the coolest shirts that I think we've had here, so I'm excited for all our contestants who are going to be getting one of those. We're going to take a timeout, though, switch gears. we got the head coach of the KU volleyball team, Ray Bouchard, is going to join us on the other side. Kansas Invitationals this weekend. It's a top 25 matchup between them and Purdue tonight at 6.30. They're taking on a 19th-ranked Marquette team on Saturday as well, so uh, we're going to discuss that at the start of the volleyball season coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN klwn.com and the klwn app depend on it welcome back in to rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 1320 klwn klwn.com or the klwn app we're joined now by special guest head coach of the ku volleyball team ray bouchard and they're kicking off the kansas invitational this weekend two top 25 matchups on the ledger for him tonight against top 25 purdue team on saturday against a top 20 marquette team uh, I want to start real quick before we get to where we're going to be at tonight with that game at 6.30 tonight at Horish. A 2-0 start last week. Sweeps of Pepperdine and Omaha. What did you think your team did well in the first week of the year? 
Yeah, I think uh, the Jayhawks were a little ahead of schedule defensively, uh, especially against Pepperdine. Um, you know, they brought back uh, about 85 90% of their roster and then had an influx of uh, a couple transfers and uh, uh, highly recruited freshmen. So we, we thought uh, offensively it might be uh, a little bit of a challenge, but we were organized with the block. And then when you dig uh, 71 balls in three sets, um, that speaks to, uh, I think, your preparation. So, And, and it, that's pretty typical this time of year. The defense is a little bit ahead of the offense, but defensively we're really good. Um, our first contact has been pretty consistent from the pass and serve perspective. So when you put those things together, um, that, that allowed us, I thought, especially against Pepperdine, uh, to, to really get moving. And then uh, offensively against Omaha, we got going a little bit too. So it was a good, good way to start the first weekend. Yeah, Aya Elnati uh, averaging five points a set so far through two matchups. Last year was her first year back off that, that tough injury that she had to go through. What have you seen from just her spirit to work back from where she was off that injury to, to where she is now? Yeah, I mean, she. Uh, there's nobody that loves to be in the gym any more than she does. And uh, if we let her hit 500 balls a day, she would do it. But uh, she um, she's a, she loves the sport, loves the game, uh, loves being part of the, the program here and is, is a big-time teammate. You know, this summer she spent, uh, she spent time over in Cairo with their national team. So I know she... Uh, she was busy in the gym getting some, some good training and some organized training. Uh, and you could tell once we started uh, our two-a-day fall camp that she was ready to go. Well, the first home game later today against a top 25 Purdue team. So it's a top 25 matchup with you guys working into the poll as well. 630 in Horish. What about this Purdue team makes them such a tough opponent? Obviously, you know, anytime you're playing a Big Ten school, that's going to kind of uh, draw some interest. Yeah, a Big Ten program that has done well, been one of the elite Big Ten programs over the years, and uh, they've uh, they've got a uh, a really really great uh, volleyball tradition there. Uh, they take uh, the volleyball serious on their campus. It's important to their athletic program, and you know they've been uh, they've been pretty elite within one of the elite conferences in the country. Um, good friends of their staff. I know they do it the right way. Their kids will play extremely hard. They've got a, uh, they've got a culture of hard work and grit, and uh, I'm sure that'll come out tonight. We need to match that if we want to have the type of success that we need to have. Well, to that notion, um, when you th- see what Purdue has this early in the season, uh, going back to what you guys did last week, is it just more of the same, just trying to be yourself, or is there anything extra you kind of have to do tonight to, to come through? Well, they do. Uh, uh, they're offensively their uh, their patterns are a little bit different than what we've seen in, in a couple different ways. A little more back row offense, and uh, they play a little faster in areas. So, uh, but it, it gets back to early in the year, especially Derek. You want to be you want to be the best version of yourself on your side. Control what you can control, and, um, and you know, y'all say it over and over again. It goes back to the first contact. We got to uh, we got to serve the ball with pace to, to, to the area we want to serve it to. And, and I know they're going to try to do the same thing with their serving game, but we got to manage that. So um, if, you, if you manage those two aspects of the game, then you put yourself in a situation where you can have some success. But 
it'll be a great challenge for us. Um, we knew when we set this, uh, this tournament up with Marquette and, and Purdue that it was going to be two opponents that would fit uh, very well into big 12 conference and the teams we'll see there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I was, I was going to talk about that next with some of the new schools that have come into the big 12. I mean, certainly you think of BYU as being a consistent volleyball powerhouse into what the big 12 has already been. And you have the defending national champs with Texas, um, I'm sure this matchup is is helpful in preparing for that. Uh, one thing I am curious about: we've talked about this in the past, in you know, possibly having a Big Twelve postseason tournament, and it just hasn't made sense in the past because there has been that normal round robin. I'd be curious with the the expanded Big Twelve that that we have this year, and that we're going to have kind of moving forward with some of the different variations of the conference. Do you think that makes sense to to bring around now that you probably won't be able to have the home and homes with everyone? Would it make sense to have a Big Twelve conference tournament? Uh, you know, it, everybody was so opposed to it back in the in the old Big Twelve days, right? When uh, you played everybody twice, and you felt like, hey, this is a fair and equitable way to to uh, to crown your, your your champion of your conference. And there was some uh, concern about. Uh, teams that maybe on the bubble might not help themselves potentially in a, a postseason tournament. But now you're right with, uh, I think the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Big 12 all have to think about that with, uh, with their membership, uh, uh, being at the numbers that they're at. So it's going to be impossible. There's, there's no feasible way to play a true double round robin. And then it gets a little bit, uh, um, I don't know if unfair is the word, but uh, you play some teams twice, you play some teams once, you, you play some teams twice at home, you say you play some teams twice on the road in our current format. So I could see down the road, and there's already already been some maybe some uh, early dialogue about, hey, you know what, we're going to play everybody once, uh, and you get on a two-year rotation where if we go to a Big 12 school this year, they'll come back the next year. And I think that's about as equitable as you can get. And if that's the case, then I do think a postseason tournament would make a lot of sense uh, in that scenario. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun if if we could get that together. Uh, I I think tonight there's going to be some sort of honoring for the 2015 team. I saw some of the social media postings about Kelsey Payne and Issei Havili with the Kansas Hall of Fame. Uh, What do those two mean? What does that team mean to you as a coach and, and as a program? Yeah, we had a, a, an extraordinary banquet last night, which uh, centered around celebrating 50 years of Title IX. And uh, when COVID hit, we got a little bit behind in honoring uh, some of the some of the female uh, student athletes who have done a great job here within the athletic program. So the 2015 Final Four volleyball team was part of that. Uh, Kelsey Payne and Denise Habili were part of that as individuals, uh, along with. Uh, a soccer individual, uh, our national championship women's track team, and t- some tennis individuals. So it was really cool to see uh, all those uh, elite athletes in one place last night and to gather that 2015 team back together along with the careers of Habibi and Payne. And, and they'll be honored tonight at the at the match, and they'll be here, some of them, throughout the weekend. Uh, and certainly the New Horish Family Volleyball Arena is in large part to the success we had during that 2012 through 2017 run that Anise Kelsey and that 2015 team were a huge part of. And not only in 2015 was there a Final Four, but there was a Big 12 championship in 2016. So 
it was a great night last night, and I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of those uh, um, Jayhawk alumni around this weekend. Well, you've got a, a real good setter right now, too. Uh, I, I don't know how often Anise has been around the program or kind of around the team. Obviously, she's she's doing her own thing in the coaching world now, but has Cameron at all gotten a chance to, to pick Anise's brain and, and kind of, I don't know, to see any ways that, that she can try to match what, what Anise was able to do? Yeah, once Cameron got past the, the wow factor and I said, hey, Cam, <laughs> you, you're, you're doing the same stuff she did when she was here. So, you know, they've had a chance to visit, and then Cam produced a picture from camp when I think uh, Cameron was like in the sixth or seventh grade with Anise and Payne. Uh, so, you know, that uh, the volleyball in the region is the best it's ever been at all levels, from a club level, high school level, in the Kansas City region and around here. And I think, once again, that stretch that that, that, that uh, group had uh, uh, impacted that a great deal, but no, Cam Turner's capable of running her own show and doing her own thing, and she's she's making her own mark. Um, and we're looking back on a, uh, or she's well down the road to to a career that is going to be extremely successful in her own right. Well, if if any Kansas fans are going out to see their first volleyball game of the season uh, tonight, with it being the home opener, or maybe on Saturday for the Marquette match, with either one being top twenty-five, obviously I'm I'm sure they'll recognize from last year Cameron and Kennedy Ferris and some of these players from previous seasons. But uh, you've you've obviously, like you mentioned, the beginning brought in some big transfers, brought in some big freshmen. Reagan Cooper seems like she's kind of hit the ground running as a transfer from Texas Tech. What can you tell us about this this incoming class of newcomers led by uh, Reagan so far? Yeah, it's great to have the Caroline Beans and Cam Turners and London Davis and all those guys you mentioned. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were fortunate to get a couple grad transfers. They completed their degree at the schools they were at and thought, hey, you know what, we got a chance to go one more year. Um, and Reagan Cooper from Texas Tech and Michaela Myers from TCU happened to be best friends and live about 30 minutes apart from each other growing up, uh, get to end their volleyball career together, which is really cool. And, and Cooper on the outside has has got off to a great start, and uh, I think she's she's flourishing here in our in our in our in our program and, and our system. And same thing with Michaela. You know, we recruited Michaela quite a bit out of high school, and and uh, it didn't work out. And it was great to have her back. Um, and it's it's a little unique in that they played in the league, and we've been game planning against them for a while. Now we're game planning. Uh, to uh, allow us to, to to get wins with them, but uh, they're doing well. And then uh, Toyosi on a banjo a transfer from University of Iowa, who has two years of eligibility left, has been a, a really a, a big shot of enthusiasm and uh, and momentum with with her play. So excited about her. But uh, we've got some other newcomers. You know, our libero uh, Reagan Burns is a is a freshman, and uh, she had a really good start to her. Uh, career here at Kansas this past weekend and excited about uh, Asia. Uh, I don't know from, from Liberty, Missouri, a freshman that's coming in and going to do great things. And Allie Schneider, uh, um, a six, five right side uh, from the new Orleans area, uh, coupled with uh, a ton of uh, people we got back with Ryan Swanson and, and uh, Bryn McGee and Molly McCarthy and, and Bryn Kirsch and, and Kim Whetstone and Katie Parks, um, uh, and you already mentioned I L Nadi. So uh, there's a lot to like about what we got going on. We've got uh, uh, one of our 
cetera. Attackers are a little dinged up right now. We're trying to get Katie Dalton back, and as soon as she gets back, the more complete we'll be too. So a lot to be excited about as we move forward in the season. Well, I, I did want to at least pick your brain here before we let you go on uh, what occurred last night, the Nebraska volleyball game that took place in a football stadium. What did you think about that whole event, them selling it out and, and that type of environment for volleyball? Uh, it's the coolest thing. Uh, and, you know, there's been some uh, some banter back and forth about who's had the biggest crowd at a volleyball match. Well, I think uh, they settled that discussion <laughs> last night uh, with uh, 92,003 people or whatever it was. And, you know, I think <clears throat> there was some hesitation about how many people will we get. And when that thing uh, got momentum, uh, it was it was really pretty cool to see. So actually, the team that we played last uh, weekend, Omaha, was their opponent last night. So it had to be cool for them too. But speaks to the the love of the sport in that state and what uh, what that university's done for volleyball in that state um, over time. And Terry Pettit got that whole thing going years ago, and he's one of my mentors and somebody that uh, I appreciate all that he's done for me. And obviously. Coach Cook's uh, taking it to a, a new level with all the things they've done up there, too. Well, I, I bring it up, too, because I remember seeing some of those those fo- photos from years ago when there was a volleyball game played at late night in the fog. I, I don't know if it was the, the prelude to some of the things going on, and I don't know if that's even anything that is a possibility anymore with some of the entertainment stuff that's been added to late night in the fog, but is that something that would ever be interesting or, or do you think could ever be brought back of, of playing that inside a sold-out Allen Fieldhouse? You know, we did my first year here. We uh, we did uh, Iowa State, and the gym was full. Uh, I'm not sure they were all watching the volleyball match, but it was <laughs> it was full. Uh, and it, it was more of a, it used to be uh midnight madness. So basketball mm-hmm. couldn't get their thing going until midnight. So they had to have a lot of filler stuff prior to that happening. So, um, you know, I think it'd be entertaining. Uh, Texas has always been on my case about, Hey, why don't we move our match over to the field house? We could, uh, we could, uh, <laughs> we could get, we could get a big crowd. Uh, but, uh, he always wanted us to get out of that little intimate facility we were in. I think it was more for his, uh, his advantage than ours, but, uh, yeah, we would, we would entertain that. We love our new, uh, horse family volleyball arena and the intimacy of that. But I think there's always an opportunity to, to grow the sport and opportunities like that. There we go. Well, Coach B, I appreciate the time, as always, and uh, looking forward to watching you guys over the course of the season and tuning into the action tonight and this weekend. Thank you so much. Should be fun. Thanks for the conversation. That was Ray Bouchard, head coach for the KU volleyball team, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Again, you can go out to the game tonight against Purdue. It is a top 25 showdown. Kansas ranked 23rd. Purdue is ranked 25th. It's at 6.30 at the Horish Volleyball Arena. And you can also, if you know it's too late and you're like, ah, shoot, I want to go. That sounds like a lot of fun, but it's a little too late. Notice for me. Uh, they're also having a game against Marquette on Saturday. And guess what? KU football plays on Friday, so you don't have to worry about going to a KU football game on Saturday. Boom, go to the KU volleyball game. Marquette's ranked 19th in the country, so that'll be another top 25 showdown again at Horish. You can uh, go on out and find tickets online with KU Athletics. Uh, we're going to take a time out here. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We get ready for the first high school football game of the season. We've got Free State football 
taking on Olathe West tonight right here on KLWN with pregame 645, first kick at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, Lawrence High is going to be taking on Olathe South on the road. That one will be at 7 o'clock, pregame 645. You'll have to listen to that one on our sister station, 92.9 The Bowl, with KU Football right here on KLWN. We're joined now by John Betts, who is the publisher of Kansas Pregame Magazines, which... Uh, if you can find them in, in a place near you, we'll, we'll get to John everywhere you can find him. Highly recommend. They have an online version, though, too, that you can check out. Gives you a great rundown across the state of Kansas, all the way from you know 2A schools to, to people in the Sunflower League. You're going to get great information on uh, all the different schools as we head into high school football season here. John, appreciate you joining the show here. Free State, as I mentioned, has its opener tonight. They're coming off a 5-4 and four season in which they came on strong to finish the year, including a win over Lawrence High, but then that didn't carry over into the postseason, falling in the first round. What are some of your initial thoughts on Kevin Stewart's bunch headed into 2023? Well, it looks like they've got a uh, they've got a great group of skills back, uh, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate uh, getting on. I enjoy talking about high school football. I've been I've been coaching, playing, or covering high school football for like 35 years now, which just means that I'm starting to get older. But, uh, but yeah, Free State looks like they have a really quality group of skills. Wesley Edison, uh, big physical kind of dual threat QB that that uh, looks very talented. Looks like um, maybe has an opportunity to do some different things at the next level, maybe a safety, maybe a linebacker kind of reminds you of that, uh, Malik Berry type of athlete. I'm not sure if he's quite that big, but, uh, however, it looks like they're going to lose a lot along the offensive line. I had an opportunity to see Calvin Clements play, uh, actually at a camp at a, at a top prospect showcase. And is that guy was one of the best offensive linemen. I think that the state of Kansas has ever produced just you know the natural size and the 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 strength, but also incredibly athletic. Of course, uh, Hank Fuchs is his dad's the offensive line coach there at the University of Kansas, and he's committed to Indiana State, I believe. And he has a younger brother. You know, Hank is like six three or something along those lines, and he has a younger brother that's like six seven. So I think those guys will help fill those spots along the offensive line, but. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if it's if it's enough to help them kind of continue to build on on the success of last year. What do you envision being their their biggest strength coming into the year? Offense, defense, I don't know, a specific positional unit, or, or just the play of Wesley Edison? What do you think is going to be kind of their calling card this season? Well, I think um, you know, first of all, I really like Coach Stewart and the job that he's done with that program. Of course, COVID kind of uh, hurt him, and they had the a uh, really talented running back that transferred out to Tonganoxy and and kind of there was kind of a step back there. Um, but I really like what he's done with that program. He's put together a good coaching staff. Of course, they, they, they have some of the most amazing facilities in the in the state of Kansas. But right now, it just looks like, and, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know the kids well that surround Wesley Edison, but what I know is is that uh, Coach Stewart lists a lot of guys. You know, I think there was four returning wide receivers and a couple different guys that are going to complement Edison in the backfield. So it looks like heading into this uh, the season that the skill positions are going to be their, their strong suit. As long as they can find some guys to block up front, they could have an opportunity to have a really explosive offense this fall. 
Lawrence High, meanwhile, went six and four last season. They're led by head coach Clint Bowen working into another year. What kind of vibe did you get uh, from how the Lions could be this season? I know it mentioned in the preview that uh, he's really high on the sophomore class. So uh, on one hand, that that could be good news, but also I don't know. Is that a little scary at all when you're playing varsity football and you are going to be relying on some younger players? Well, it seems like they've lost some key pieces along the the defensive side of the football. Uh, you know, Kent Simmons, really great linebacker for them. Um, and yes, relying on young guys, especially at the 6A level, uh, can be very tough. Uh, but, you know, Coach Bowen has done a really nice job returning to his alma mater. Uh, you know, lost a couple of games last year that I think they probably would really like to have a chance to, to get back. And, you know, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit. You're a little closer to it, but it sounds like maybe his son Banks in the junior class is maybe going to take over the quarterback role. Uh, which is kind of intriguing considering you have a, a kid that's coming back in, in the, as, a, as a senior in Tyson Grammer that was, you know, spent the majority of the year as the starter last fall. Uh, of course, they're going to have to find something to replace the explosiveness of Tyrell Reed, who, you know, they only had for one year after he transferred in from Highland Park, one of the fastest dudes in the state of Kansas. Also going to really miss him in the kick return game where he, uh, made some monumental plays for for Lawrence High, but my my feeling is is that Clint has the coach Bowen uh, has the the team on the right track, and that they're going to battle in every game. Uh, but I really think that they're going to have to fill some spots along the defense if they're going to be a kind of a, a team that can make a deep playoff run. It does sound to me like the, the offensive line seems to be in good shape, though. I mean, how, how helpful – I don't know. When, you, when you're going through previews and when you're, you're, you're thinking about what wins at the high school level, how prevalent is just having a good offensive line? Well, it's hugely important, especially at the 6A level. Now, the reality about high school football is – and I actually put this in my uh, preseason rankings breakdown that I just posted online at kansaspregame.com – is that you're one or two players away from being either really good or mediocre. And so if you have a Tyrell Reed, for example, I mean, that's, that guy can be a difference maker. But certainly a big, physical, talented offensive line and also a great offensive line coach. You know, I live out in central Kansas, closer to me, Salinas Central. Uh, they have really turned their program around under Mark Sambo. And his offensive line coach, Tony Chesney, just does an outstanding job. When you see an offensive line that they all step together, they get off the ball at the same speed, you see them communicate a lot before, um, you know, they know who they're blocking. And when you look at these guys like Will Hendricks and Dylan Alvarado, uh, Connor Nowak, those guys, these are experienced guys at Lawrence, and that experience, being able to communicate blocking schemes and understanding what the opponent is throwing at you that's that certainly is an enormous factor i mean i think that's why i think that's a huge reason why k-state has such high expectations this year is because even though they lost deuce vaughn and malik knowles and uh you know some of that important speed and athleticism they've got everybody back along the offensive line including a guy that's going to be a first round draft pick and i think that's the reason that they are you know were picked second or third in the conference and and have such high expectations going into the season so yes offensive line play uh is a huge factor in whether or not a team can make it can be successful night in night out 
We're talking with John Betts, publisher for the Kansas Pregame Magazine here on RCST. Uh, okay, so ac- across the Sunflower League, as Lawrence and Free State are, are competing along to, to win the league and, and then have a deep playoff run, who are some of the teams to, to keep an eye on across the Sunflower League that, that could make it tough for, for either of those Lawrence schools? Well, of course, the Sunflower League uh, in the in the modern era, since Mill Valley left the Eastern Kansas League, is it goes through Mill Valley. And Mill Valley returns quite a bit on offense, though they have to replace an outstanding dual-threat quarterback in Hayden Jay. Uh, and they return a lot of talent along the defensive line, including junior Jaden Woods, who is a guy that has offers from everybody in the country, including the University of Alabama. And I would anticipate they, they, you know, the loss of Mikey Bergeron and some other people in the back end of that defense. I actually think that um, Mill Valley has the biggest challenge ahead of them in this run of state championship success that they have. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the new quarterback develops over the course of the season. And I think from top to bottom, the conference really has an opportunity to be incredibly competitive. I mean, I think Lawrence and Lawrence Free State have a chance to, to battle for the top of the conference. Gardner Edgerton looks like they might be the best team in 6A this year after losing that heartbreaking state championship game and double overtime on a two-point conversion. They've got basically their entire offense back, and they're a flex-bone team. I'm a big option guy. I love the, the way that you can control the ball uh, with their big offensive line, their, their two-headed monster in the backfield of uh, Dawson Kindler and Dylan Butash and Braven Powell, the big, tall quarterback that knows how to execute. Uh, they've got some holes. they got a lot of holes. I think they only have four starters back on uh, the defensive side of the ball. But with all that offensive talent returning, I anticipate them being very good. I think Olathe North, you know, the consistent power. they got T.J. Porter and Aiden Bruce. Um, Aiden, part of the the highly successful Bruce family out of Olathe North. Uh, I think Olathe East is going to be a surprise team in the Sunflower League this year, return a ton of starters, including uh, their quarterback and a a couple of really high-level college prospects and Ray Smith and Gerard Reed. Uh, Olathe South has their quarterback back. I think Olathe South is really going to miss the loss of Jordan Allen, who I think is, has the potential to be a very special player at K-State. Um, so I think there's a lot of teams that could be a factor this year, but heading into it, Mill Valley, Gardner-Edgerton are going to be uh, the likely favorites to win that, that Sunflower Conference championship. Well, Free State opening up tonight with the Owls of Olathe West. How do you see this matchup going? How do you think the two of them could, could match up together? Intrigued by Olathe West, um, the the only coach that the program has ever known is gone to Blue Valley North, where he's going to serve as a coordinator for Drew Hudgens, who is a. They both served together previously on the Mill Valley staff. Uh, John Weimers is a really great coach who has college experience and led Arc City to an improbable state championship berth after they started the year like one and four or one and five and finished the year, you know, five and six overall and saw a, saw a state championship birth for the, for the first time, you know, in ages. Great coach. He's going to miss Mason McGavern, who is out of Fort Hayes state playing where is as a legacy kid, where his dad actually played. Um, Mason 
was a really talented dual threat quarterback and a great leader. Um, I know they lost some very good players along the the offensive line. So I, I, I think that uh, I think Olathe West is going to be down this year. I mean, you can't you know you, coaching change from the only coach that you've known in the in the program history and graduated a, a dual threat quarterback that I think was a three year starter. You almost have to take a step back now. Tons of kids out. The program did well under Coach O'Neill, developed promptly, became a factor in, in uh, playing high-level football right away. So I don't, I don't ex- expect them to take a massive step back, and they're going to fight and claw. Uh, but if I was handicapping it, I probably would give uh, Free State a, a slight edge in this contest. Okay, and then Lawrence High gets Olathe South tomorrow night. Uh, what sticks out to you about that matchup? Uh, Olathe South, Bryce Nuremberg, back at the quarterback position, really one of the best players in the Sunflower League. I really like the job that Ron Litchfield has done leading the Falcons there uh, in one, the, his first season last fall after uh, coming over from a, a variety of different head coaching positions in uh, Missouri. I think he had experience in Missouri and maybe Iowa. Um, I'm not sure all the pieces that they have to complement uh, that quarterback, uh, but I would say I, it gives me a similar vibe. I think Olathe South is still going to be pretty good after a solid year last year, but I probably would give Lawrence a slight edge if I were handicapping it. All right, well, we appreciate you hopping on here. Before we do let you go, do you have an official state title pick? And I'll even give you a, a pathway for outside of that state title pick if if you wanted to, if you had to pick a dark horse pick, uh, what would that be? And you're talking about 6A? 6A, yes, sorry. No problem. Uh, I like Gardner-Edgerton for the 6A state championship game, but I need to say I think 6A and actually all classifications I think are deeper than they have ever been. I think Manhattan has an opportunity to repeat. Um, that you know They lose Keenan Sharks, uh, who's off to Washburn now. Uh, but they actually have another father-son coach, uh, coach quarterback situation there. Uh, the Aslan kid is going to be their quarterback, and his uh, dad, who was a former head coach, is the defensive coordinator there within the program, Lucas Aslan. I can't remember his son's name off the top of my head right now, but Derby graduated a ton, but they've got a father-son quarterback situation in Brandon and Braxton Clark, and uh, you know I think they're going to be very good as well. Uh, I'll pick Gardner Edgerton, but I believe that it's going to be very close. I believe there's going to be a lot of great games, and I believe that there's going to be a lot of teams uh, that challenge to make deep playoff runs this season. All right, so that should make it for a super exciting high school football season. John, I appreciate the time here today. Uh, Where can people get the Kansas pregame magazine? Well, if you go to kansaspregame.com, there's an article on there that shows you where you can pick up uh, copies at different locations across the state. In Lawrence, there's copies at uh, Jock's Niche and Free State Dental. Uh, and then be sure and check back on KansasPregame.com all year. We do we do football rankings weekly. We're also really active on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter slash X. You know, I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out what to call it. Are are our two most active locations? Uh, you can follow Kansas Pregame on those outlets as well. Awesome. Well, John, I appreciate the time and and have a great high school football season covering everything. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it.
That was John Betts, again, the publisher of Kansas Pregame Magazines. You can, uh, again, go out, get that magazine. You can check him out online, give him a follow everywhere that he said with uh, social media and whatnot. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be back in a moment.